Hello and welcome to the 40th episode of The Novel Brain with Dr. E. So today I'm going to be talking about the importance of play, how you can make it easier, how you can make it more effective, how you can become a little bit more playful in your own lives. And that goes for you adults as well, not just for children. And I'm going to give you a lot of tips today to show you what you can do to make this a greater part of your existence. Stay tuned. All right, so what I'm going to talk about is going to be something that you probably feel you already innately know. You probably feel, since I was a kid, and many of you, of course, were kids, and maybe some of you are kids. I've got some um, interesting messages, DMs, and some content that has been coming from kids. Um, as a professional, you know, I'm a psychologist that's been working with children since the late 90s. I actually get a lot of great input from children who have listened to my podcast or come across my Instagram. By the way, I'm going to plug that real quick. It's P-S-S-Y-C-D, Psyched, um, and that is on Instagram. You can find me and just follow me, and then you're going to get kind of updates on not only just this podcast, but little tips here and there, and just kind of a look into my personal and professional life through that Instagram page. It's pretty active, so many of you actually might be following already, so thank you for that. And at this time, I'm just going to proceed into self-directed play, which is very different than just play. So a lot of us have kind of a defined thought. You know, I, I played as a kid, so therefore I kind of developmentally knew kind of the existence I had was just filled with play. You know, if you're maybe Gen Xer, even some of you boomers out there for sure, play really involved being outside a lot. And the reason why I'm doing this is I'm in a neighborhood that I know has a lot of children, but I rarely see the kids outside. And the way that I actually noticed this even more so was just last week, uh, my sons and I went and picked up a Shiba Inu. And what do, what do dogs have to do? They have to go outside, not just to be exercised, <laughs> but they also need to play. They need to socialize with their environment. They need to see what's out there. So I'm walking around, usually we do about a mile or a mile, half a day at least, sometimes twice a day, and I very rarely see children outside. So what's happened? What's happened to this next sort of millennia of children is we're kind of stuck indoors because of screen time. And I, I get it, you know, my own children, they definitely have their own screens and they have a bit of, I wouldn't call addiction, but it's so intriguing that it's this alternative universe that you just kind of end up in. That's not necessarily self-directed play. It seems to be a little bit more passive than actually active. Of course, kids would argue video games are extremely active. You know, I have some degree of belief in that, but the other thing is we have to stop and step back. We have to think about what is happening here. What is this interaction that you might be getting from a video game? What's the interaction you're getting from TikTok? What is this? Well, if you think about it, when you were a kid, what did you have? You know, some of you older folks are going to say, oh, I had a set of blocks. 
you know, you folks that just went to school, walked up and down the hill 10 miles each way to school with seven feet of snow, you had more than blocks probably. But I mean, I get it. I grew up in the, the era of a lot of physical games. So that doesn't mean that that's the only game in town, so to speak. Sorry about that pun. But I mean, we have to talk about learning challenges, not just the fun component of it. What, what's going on here? So what can you do to make it easier on your lives? You don't have to hit, well, Toys R Us has kind of become a little bit non-existent, but you don't have to you know, hit the, the local toy store or even Amazon to pick up a ton of different toys. Toys are generally already in place in your home. So just look around you for a moment. Think about what you have in front of you. If you have a faucet, which I think most of you do, um, you're basically looking, or a bathtub, for example, a shower even, all those things are already in place for play. So we have to have children self-direct themselves to play. So why do I mean self-direct? We ask them to pursue their passions. We ask them to, hey, are you interested in space? Maybe you're an astronaut in the future. Maybe, wow, you're want, you want to heal animals. Maybe you want to be a veterinarian. We, we allow that, but we don't necessarily have to bank on just passion we have to think about the self-directed play as what is it that's innately part of them so that's why i talk about self-directed play versus just play so we step back we think about it i want to talk about just briefly an example my, my children both attended uh, reggio emilia programs for two years of their early development so ages three and four I enrolled them in a great program in DC. Unfortunately, part of this, the program was during the pandemic and, and that was difficult because that was all online and that was very, very challenging. However, the school did a wonderful job in, in continuing self-directed play. And this is very similar to, many of you might be familiar with uh, Montessori approach. So self-directed play is having stations available that are naturally in your environment. And that's what I mean by like a shower, a sink. You can have your child have a bunch of Tupperware, get into the cabinets. You can also incorporate and integrate this into a piece of learning can be a part of cleaning, which I do with my own children. I notice that they do want to help a lot of times. They, they realize that there's also a lot of praise involved in that. There's a lot of reward. Perhaps you even have a reward system, as I do. We can talk about that in another podcast. But just take, for example, the sink idea. Um, just, just last night, actually, I had both my children had learned a lesson as they were self-directed play. They came to me into the kitchen area as I was washing our dog bowl and a bunch of dishes. So I needed somebody to help me with that in putting that into the dishwasher. Also needed somebody to take them out of the dishwasher when they were drying and put them back in the shelves. That is a lesson in a lot of things. So the self-directed play could be how much water do you need? There could be some, for example, I had a lot of Tupperware to clean. I don't know if people use that term anymore, but a lot of food containers as if you have children or if you're just into saving food, you probably have a lot of that laying around. Well, those different volumes are a lesson in themselves. So how much water do you need to fill in, into a, a container to be able to clean it with all the stuff? 
So what I'm talking about there is that we, we're learning as we play. There's something that feels very good about that. Peter Gray, an evolutionary psychologist, would talk about play as being nature's way of young animals to practice skills for survival. In today's world, those skills are not just going outside and, and hunting and gathering. Those skills are, how do I actually manage my household? How do I manage challenging things in order to get a better result? How do I manage a household so that it's not just the space that I live in, but the space that I love? So these are things like washing the dishes and doing the laundry. Um, we talk about how many, how many clothes can fit into a basket. That basket has a certain volume. So not only is that learning, it's like a self-directed place situation where when you take those clothes out of the dryer, you can actually separate those clothes based on um, size. We can base on color. We can base on whose, whose clothes are these, sorting. These things are just really sort of evolutionary um, in a sense where you're kind of learning how to survive and you're learning how to live. There's another thought. Um, my child, my oldest child, is, is almost 10 now, which is blowing me away. But this child really likes climbing trees. We went to the park in our neighborhood the other day, and we had a dog, and my other son was with me, and they just love climbing trees. And I noticed that I think the county had come out and chopped off the, the low branches so that kids couldn't climb the tree which really disappointed me in a couple of ways. For, for example, I understand the litigious piece that the county is afraid. Maybe a kid did fall off that tree, and that's actually survival. It probably needed to fall off if they didn't understand how to climb a tree. No offense to the parent uh, or the kid if they didn't have the abilities. But that really disappointed not only my child but myself because the tree itself really didn't need that. And then... In addition, my son couldn't get up the tree, and he was he's just like the stellar tree climber, and he usually just goes to the very top. That reminded me of where I was as a kid. I was always up a tree, building a tree house, watching the neighborhood from up top, reading a book in a tree. This is building trust with your own skills, actually taking risks. You're learning how to do things that are a little bit dangerous, and... So therefore, we left the park, because this was a county park, and I get it, again, you know, the county doesn't want to be responsible for a kid taking risks and falling out of the tree. We went to a different wooded area, found a tree, perfect tree for this, by, by the way, is, is like an evergreen, because they're built-in ladders go around this stem and the trunk of the tree. You can, buy, you, can, you, you can just buy these even. I'm sorry to say, I put these in my own yard. You know, you can, you can kind of naturally even beautify your own home and have built in several years later, or you can buy an evergreen that's like already pretty large and just put these in your backyard as opposed to even putting in like playground equipment. And now you have a built-in, beautified, risky, and safe way of playing. So play is nature's way of us practicing these skills for survival. It's also for adults. We have to play. We don't play much. In fact, when we're kids, it was found that in a lot of studies before the 80s, 
we noticed that uh, I believe the percentage of playing outside for recess had reduced from somewhere around 90 minutes a day with two recess, recess periods to less than 30 one time a day. And that was because in the 80s, we were up against the challenge of why are we so far behind in education? So all of a sudden, and I'm an educator, and I'm also a product of that generation, I recall going out for recess for 45 minutes, two times a day. And today, I asked my children just the other day, how long are they outside? Some of them are outside as low as 30 times a day. That's half an hour out of eight hours of school, which is absolutely egregious. I mean, and then they have to wait for periods of um, specials, as you know, like music once a week, art once a week, and then maybe a different special, which is rare. I'm glad that they do that, but that's also once a week. So what are they doing? As opposed to playing, which we know builds resilience, builds neural matter in the brain to grow risky parts of your brain as well as skill building, socializing, they are actually now working on test scores to increase the ability to compete with the rest of the world. Well, the data shows this inverse effect. So that was the idea 50 years ago. Let's increase the amount of schooling so that we can compete with the world. When it in effect happened, it was the opposite. So we decreased the time of play, increased the time in work, gave children under the fifth grade homework for the first time in 1980s, now it's become out of control. There's no results that shows that we've actually increased our abilities cognitively. And in, in fact, what we've done is inversely increased and reduced our abilities to compete internationally. Our test scores are showing that it's not effective. In a sense, we're measuring now our ineffective sort of programming children in education programs that don't work. So what's happening is we're now 17th in the world, <laughs> which is egregious as a leader in global landscape of, of, of education programs and higher education. Lower education is showing us that's not working. So we're missing out. In this podcast today, I want to describe to you what we can do. So kids and adults, if you're listening, we're all too busy. That is clear. We're a nation at risk. And that actually, to kind of remind you of the 80s publication, that was the name of the publication that reduced summer vacation. Elementary school children had homework for the first time. Now there's this increase of depression and anxiety that went hand in hand with the decrease of playtime. Since the 1950s, there's been a eight-fold increase in anxiety and depression. Since the 1950s, there's been a six-fold increase in suicides. What happened there? We took away play. We added more work, which we all know, for you movie buffs, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Let's just talk about Jack and Jill. Do we even know what Jack and Jill do during the day? Do you give yourself even five minutes of play? 
do you have toys in your office that take you away? Like, I personally do. Um, based on being in my career, it's, it's very beneficial to have toys laying around if you work with children. Um, I have Rubik's Cubes in my own office of all different shapes and sizes. I, I guarantee you, you will be touching those throughout the day for play. All right, so you don't have to take a major break from what you're doing. You can be doing those alongside with what you're actually thinking is work. And that's another episode on the novel brain that's coming up is whether we do actually um, multitask or are we actually focusing on one thing at a time, which is better. That'll be coming up in two weeks. And there's a myth involved with that as well, and there's some science involved that we don't multitask very well. However, I would argue that you can read and do a Rubik's Cube almost without any idea of what you're doing with the object in your hand, and that's actually multitasking. But in, in effect, we'll talk about that in two weeks. So when we deprive children of play, we take away the activities that make them happy. What is it that we ask ourselves throughout our lives? What's the most important thing that we want from our lives? Some may argue, I want to be successful. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. Well, it turns out that people who are rich and successful and people who have lives that they feel are abundant really have to report that they're happy first. You can't feel success, fame, and happy um, without having some degree of play in your life. So instead, we're giving our children more work indoors, and that's key. There's a difference between indoor play and outdoor play, which we'll talk about in just a moment, and I'm going to actually stress that they're both equally important. They're just different types of play. Getting outdoors is just innately a, a sort of play that you can't get indoors. You're curious about your environment, which by the way, gosh, I'm plugging my, my podcast lesson left and right here for future episodes, but I will have an episode completely on curiosity. And I've done some papers on this and I actually think I might've published a couple different publications where I've talked about uh, curiosity and how that ties in basically correlated studies of how curiosity leads to higher cognitive intelligence. So think about that for a minute. And you can't be curious and bored at the same time. So when was the last time you saw a child play in your neighborhood? I talked about that briefly. I've noticed over the course of five decades that in the past four decades, I've seen a decrease in play outside. And I am super supportive of local parks and playgrounds. I'm super supportive of less fences around even public spaces where people have access to public play areas. And this is something that we should all be a proponent of. I used to work for a park service in Charleston, South Carolina. It was probably one of the best I've ever seen, even in the world. And I worked in this place called James Island, County Parks, for those of you in Charleston, South Carolina, hats off to you. you guys are doing an amazing job. And kids had access to just everything. They had access to not just playgrounds, but lakes and rivers. 
um, environmental programs, these all qualify for being outside and playing in your own neighborhoods. Um, about direct play, and I want to return to this, this whole idea of direct play. This must be the initiative. You have to have direct play, because with direct play, that gives the individual ch child whose neurodevelopmental brain is now being used to imagine things. So if you've ever seen your kid run around the neighborhood or in your house and they've got like a towel wrapped around their neck and they're running around and they're, they're pretending to take off and fly away. That's, that's the imagination of using just a daily object. And as an adult, we look at that like, oh, wow, you know, I, I need that towel back. I got to put it on the towel rack. Just let it go. Let it go and let them develop through self-directed play with everyday objects. We got a kid that's trying to be a superhero. That's imagination. Um, children also pretend to be animals. I'm gonna just put this out there. I think it was two weeks ago, I got a note from one of my kid's parents. I'm sorry, not their parent, but I got one from their teacher um, that the music teacher actually wrote up my son for pretending to be a dog while he was in chorus or music class just the other night and i thought okay i i get it i'm an educator you know maybe he wasn't supposed to be acting like a dog but it turned out two nights ago my son was in bed and he started singing the song that they sang in chorus and i said well where did you learn that and he said one well, music class and the song was about a dog i think the song was from like the 50s and I get it. He was trying to use his imagination to personify this song. And so this music teacher looked at that as bad behavior. I look at that as creative behavior. I didn't respond to this write-up. And I actually think to myself, I silently applauded my son. And I said, look, you know, try not to go ahead and draw attention to yourself. But I don't know if that was exactly the approach I would take with a first grader. So in the event that that comes up again, I'll have a conference and defend my son's behavior. And maybe they should integrate theatrics into their music program, because that's a child developing their brain with all the different parts of their intelligence and developmenting mind. So there was a song in the class that opened the idea to not just singing, which is what I believe she wanted, but also acting, which is the way my son learned in Reggio Emilia, is that that was the station that he would go to. It was a little bit more tactile and representative of a song which provided an image for him to act it out. And instead, he was scolded for doing this, written up, and the note went to his teacher, and all of a sudden, he was an outlier. Well, what do we know about outliers, folks? And we talked about this last week on The Novel Brain, and outliers are the ones that rule this world. They're the ones that invent things. They're the ones that expand current knowledge. They're the ones that influence others to break through these barriers in our everyday mundane lives. I appreciate these people. I notice that even my own colleagues who are outliers happen to be a lot more successful and subsequently happy, which is our goal in life. 
So you teachers out there who are listening, and maybe even our lovely music teacher who I've not met, this may be for you. Allow it. Just think about it for a moment. Break free from the mold of education that we're, we're familiar with. You know, you might have a curriculum, but that curriculum doesn't mean your children that are in your, your class, particularly specials, are not to express themselves. And, in fact, applaud that. Give the kid extra credit for being inventive. So anyhow, we're going to move forward. People are less driven by external things and more by challenges for themselves. So if you think about these outliers, if you think about these driven, motivated individuals in your own life, what makes them different? Is it that they're driven by the reward of money, which is external? Is it that they're driven by the fancy new house, the fancy new car, the fancy corner office? I can tell you that I've been in that world. There was a time in my life where I think I chased that for about 10 years, knowing that that wasn't going to bring me happiness. I got that, and even then knew that I wasn't arriving at this big mecca of happiness. Happiness comes from the internal things. It comes from the challenges that we provide ourselves. It comes from that tree to see if you can make it to that next level of height. It comes from the climbing wall. It comes from everything. Everything can be play. So that's the takeaway message for today. I really want to stress this and kind of leave you with this thought. You adults out there, particularly older adults, I'm not just talking about middle age. I'm talking anybody who feels like they're aging who say things like, I just can't do that anymore. I'm so old. Well, let's talk about age a little bit and play it doesn't stop in your life so i have an 85 year old mother and a father that's turning 87 this year i know that throughout their lives they have played musically they have played tactfully kinesthetically and dance together throughout their lives and they've played with their minds i think my mom has done the crossword puzzle every week maybe the new york times I know my dad is making violins. This is play. So play doesn't have to actually look what what we think play looks like. It's not just Foursquare and dodgeball, climbing trees and running around the block, um, imagining that you're Superman or Superwoman. It's involved in everything that you do. Um, I, I look at work in some ways as play. I make a challenge to produce a certain amount of words on my reports, um, which is kind of a game. So, so turning something mundane and something that's kind of repetitive into a game, just by putting a time limit on something or a word limit on something, or even expressing yourself in a meeting where you're going to use new words, that is play. That is imagination. That is the sophistication of where play is today. It's, it's one of those things where I want to go multidimensional with this. Play is not just a unilateral thing. It is a multidimensional prism, and it goes in so many different ways, whether you're a musician, an artist visually, or even just like an avid reader, a writer. These are play activities, and if you don't have play integrated into your life, Well, I'm hoping that this is an impetus for you to do that. This is the opportunity for you 
today to move forward and think about all the different ways that you play with your world, what you play with your children, your colleagues, and even integrate certain times away from work if you can't put play in your work. Say you're a banker and you feel, my job is just not playful. No offense to you bankers. Well, I have friends in the banking world that <laughs> that's in front of their computers for almost 10 hours a day and, and actually don't have any play integrated into their schedule. Well, you need to build that in your schedule. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to charge you to put for every hour of work, I need you to step away for 10 minutes of play. It's that easy. Get yourself the old-fashioned kitchen timer, the egg timer, and make sure it goes off. Use your smartphones to remind you that you need 10 minutes of play for every hour. And we're, we're going to come back to this. I think I'm going to do another follow-up on this in six weeks. And hopefully at that point, you have, will have practiced some of this and put this into your, your, your plan and your programs in your life. And I'm hoping that that will make your existence that much more optimal. So that is it for now for the novel Brain with Dr. E. I will return in a week, and then in two weeks, we're going to do some more podcasts and questions and answers. I may have a special guest at that point, and I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. So take care, all. Thanks for joining me on The Novel Brain with Dr. E. Be well, all.